for us today. I'm so excited. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was not excited when I first started this week out, not because the passage that we're going to say today is not good. I wasn't excited because, I don't know about y'all, but when I, when I approach a passage that I've preached before, I've heard sermons or heard a lessons on or studied out a lot, it's a challenge for me to find something new to say. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like my mind always goes to uh, what's a different angle or what's a different application that I can have for this. And this week we're going we're gonna to study the, the parable of the sower. And that is one that no doubt all of us have heard. We've all heard a sermon on it. We've heard somebody teach a Sunday school lesson on it or at life group. Um, for me, what sticks out in my mind is a trip when I was in junior high, like way long time ago, we went camping in the mountains and that morning we got up and our youth pastor said, hey, I want you to go back in your tent. I want you to read this, this chunk of scripture and come back out and we're going to all share what we, thinks it mean, what we think it means. I was way off as a junior high boy about what, I, what I'm th- in the farming world thinking about farming stuff and I was way off, but that, that moment sticks out in my mind. Earlier this week, I'm eating lunch. Uh, let, me, let me start out, or Monday I'm eating lunch, and I'm thinking about this passage, and I've got commentaries that I read every week, and there's some um, like seminary level videos that I watch that pertain to each lesson uh, that go through the book of Luke, and I watch those each week to kind of kind of get my mind in the right headspace. And so I watched those videos, and I read some commentaries, and it was the same stuff that I've heard before. And so I'm asking God, like, God, what do you have for us in this passage, do I preach the same things I've preached before? Do I preach something new? Um, and, and so that was Monday. And so Tuesday, I'm thinking about it and I'm praying about it. Wednesday, I'm at lunch and uh, I'm doing the death scroll on social media. I know y'all are familiar with that. But a video popped up and it immediately grabbed my attention. It was a clip of a lady named Dr. Anita Phillips. And she's teaching on the principles of her new book called The Garden Within. I sent this to Miss Debbie and a few others as I was listening to this because I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is right in their alley. Dr. Anita Phillips is a trauma counselor and she's dedicated her life to understanding our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. I saw this clip and it was one of those where like, I've got to go find the full length video that goes along with this. And so I did. And so I listened to her teaching while I was driving from Crockett, Texas to Jacksonville, Texas, um, about an hour and a half. And I was so excited because she brings some insight to this passage, to the parable of the sower that I've never even considered before. And I wanted to share some of that with you today. I cannot recommend her book enough. It's called The Garden Within. Um, I listened to that recording of the teaching on Thursday and then Friday when I was driving home, I listened to the whole book. Like, I don't know if you know this, but on Audible, you can speed up the speed. And it was one of those books, like, I can't get this in fast enough. So I had on like 1.5 or something. And she's, you know, really fast. But I'm just soaking this all in. It's incredible. And a lot of what I'm going to reference today is from her book. I'm going to focus specifically on the parable of the sower. She goes a lot further out than that. But I want us to see today, I want us to just have a brief overview of some of the principles that she brings out. So let's read our passage together. Out of Luke chapter 8, we're going to read verses 4 through 15, and then we'll kind of break out from there and and see what God has for us. So let's let's pick up in verse 4. Jesus says, as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Still other seed fell on good ground, and when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. 
As he said these things, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. And then the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you to know, but to the rest it is parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in the time of testing. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and the pleasures of this life, and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring and produce fruit. In this passage, there are several main players or subjects that we need to identify before we move forward so that we can, we can understand who's doing what. So the sower is God, all right? The seed is the word of God, and the ground or the soil is the heart of man. It's my heart, and it's your heart. One of the major themes, themes of Dr. Phillips' book is this parallel between this parable and the creation of the earth, the garden, and mankind. So let's flip back to the beginning of your Bible. It'll be easy to find Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at this story as well. So Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read verses 4 through 5. It said, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Let's continue on to verse 9. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the life, the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and where he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So again, we see the same players. We see God. We see God's word, and we see man. And these are going to play an important part of our understanding of this passage. Something else that Dr. Phillips does in her book that I've never seen before is she equates each soil type that Jesus describes in the parable to an emotion. And I want to pause right here for just a minute and, and just point out the emotion that was brought forth today in the, in the testimony from, from Rachel and from um, Kara. Dr. Phillips' research shows something significant about our emotions. From the days of Plato, the scientific understanding of our emotions has been dominated by the idea that our emotions are the result of our thinking. And this has not only dominated the scientific world, but it also has dominated our understanding of ourselves and how we relate to God. In 2010, there was a shift in that understanding, and Dr. Phillips explained what we have all experienced, but we just didn't realize what it meant. Have you ever had a, a moment where you smelled or you saw or you heard or you tasted or you touched something that immediately brought back an awful feeling? For me, it's Sprite. 
When I was a kid, if I got sick, my mom gave me a can of Sprite. And so now often when I drink Sprite, immediately it makes me feel nauseous. I know for my wife, community coffee, the smell of it does that. Because when she was going through chemo, they brewed community coffee. And now without thinking, it's not like, oh gosh, they're about to brew coffee. I think I might be sick. You smell it and then immediately there is a physical response that happens. The same thing is true for me with Sprite. If you've experienced something like that, you know that emotions are bodily experiences, right? They are something that, there is something that happens to us physically when we feel emotions. What happens when we get sad in our bodies? We begin to what? We cry, right? Both Kara and Rachel today are sharing what they are feeling about the circumstance that they are in and their bodies reacted to that. And we fight those reactions because we think that they are bad, that there's something good. But what we need to understand is that they are automatic. They're not something that we think about. We think about not doing those things because we've been trained to do so. But those emotions and their reactions are controlled by the body's autonomic nervous system, not by your brain. They're controlled by your nervous system. What researchers discovered in 2010 is that our emotions are not the result of our thinking, but in fact the other way around, that our emotions happen first and they change our thinking. Our emotions happen before our thoughts. This means that when we are struggling emotionally, trying to control those emotions by controlling our thoughts is a game that we can never win. I was texting with somebody this week and they said, I'm really struggling right now, but I'm trying to claim the scripture and claim my thoughts before they get away. And scripture does say that. We do need to control our thoughts, but what we need to understand is that controlling our thoughts will not control our emotions and will not change the way that we feel. And the way that we feel is so important. Look at this quote from Dr. Phillips. She said, emotions are consistently cast as the opposition in a war that never seems to end. The scorched earth of your heart bears the scars, but your heart was never meant to be a battlefield. Your heart is a garden. When Jesus told this parable, he referred to the creation of the garden and of mankind. That is the setting in which he is sharing this story. This parable is full of rich meanings that I've never seen before. Jesus is not only telling us what kind of soil to be, He was explaining how we were created to relate to one another and to God. In this parable that we read today, what were the main characters, right? They were God, and they were his word, and they were his heart, or they're our heart. Jesus' teaching is not about the condition of our thinking. It's about the condition of our heart. I'm going to have Anna put a slide up in a moment comparing this parable to Jesus' explanation of it. And what we're going to see is that each patch of ground represents a different emotional state of someone's heart. And this does not mean that our heart is in only one state at a time because our hearts are not binary. This means that our feelings about certain things are dynamic and they're moving readily. And our ability to hear God's word depends on how our heart feels about the topic that he is addressing. So let me say this before we begin, that none of these feelings are bad or they are sinful. In fact, Jesus was full of emotion. We're going to look at some examples of that today as we move through each of these soil types. But keep this in mind as we move forward. Another quote from Dr. Phillips. A garden's condition depends on its soil. The condition of the garden within you spiritually, mentally, and physically depends on the soil of your heart. That means embracing your feelings, all of them. And that means it's time to end the war. 
Look at this passage with me. And I want to point out first, let's look at verse 15. Anna, you can go ahead and put it up there. Can you all read that or is it too small? If you can't, I just want you to, can you see the colors? That's going to be helpful. It's verse 15 that says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Each location where the seed is planted in Jesus' parable is an emotional state of the heart. And our hearts are the soil where the seed, which is the word of God, is planted. Okay? The condition of that soil determines how we receive it and affects that wor- and the effect that that word has on us. Every seed has two things that it needs in order to germinate, grow, and produce fruit. They need water. We know that one. And we need air. And we don't think about that one as often. But both of these things are delivered to the roots of the plants through the soil. The condition of the soil determines if they get what they need. So let's look at Jesus' first example. This is verse 5 and verse 12. So I'm going to read verse 5, which is in orange up here. It said, a sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. And then looking at the explanation in verse 12, it said, the, le- the, the seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil consumes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. In this first example, the seed lands on a footpath. If you have a dog that lives inside of a fence in your yard, you probably have one of these. Anna, go ahead and put that next picture up there. Y'all ever seen one of those in your yard? Okay, this is one made by cows. If you have ever been around cows, if there is a source of water, there's going to be multiple, multiple of these leading to that source of water or to shade, whichever the case may be. This path is put in place, not by a farmer. The dog doesn't go out there with a weed eater and mow that path. How is that path created? By their, by their foot traffic. What? By the cows. How? What creates it? Pressure. It compacts the soil right? No growth happens along these paths because the soil has been compacted by regular traffic. Because it's so compacted, there's no air available for the seeds exposing it to those things that eat the seed. Jesus calls them the birds. I want you to think of this soil as clay. Repeated pressure has hardened it and made it impossible for plants to grow. In this example from Jesus, there's no soil for the seed to germinate in because it lands on top of the compacted clay and it cannot get into the soil to germinate. This soil is like pure compacted clay. Water has trouble penetrating the surface and there's certainly no air in it because it's compacted. Both of the required things for the seed to germinate are not present. In her book, Dr. Phillips likens this to sadness. Sadness is like clay. It's heavy. However, clay, once it has, water has been introduced, it's rich in nutrients that the seeds need. And there's much richness found in sadness that leads us to love. It causes us to have more empathy and can strengthen our relationships. Too much sadness, though, can compact the soil and force all the air out, which suffocates the plants. And often when people are suffering from sadness, they express it by saying things feel heavy. It feels like it's hard to breathe. Sadness is built into our emotional toolbox and it is necessary to be emotionally healthy. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. What's the, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Anybody? Jesus wept. Okay. 
In this Bible, in that verse, Jesus has experienced sadness after learning about the death of Lazarus. Look at this with me. Starting in verse 32, it says, As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. What I find most interesting about this passage is that Jesus was sad, yet he knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he did not skip the process of being sad. That happens. Jesus experienced this sadness because our emotions happen before our thoughts do. Jesus experiences sadness and he understands what we feel when we experience it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet is without sin. Church, I want, I want you to hear me say this. If you struggle with a lot of sadness in your life, Jesus knows how that feels. Let's look at verse 6 and 13 and go to our next point. Our next point is that shallow or rocky soil allows germination, but no growth. If you look at verse 6 and 13, throw that uh, animation back up there, Anna. Verse 6 says, other seed fell on the rock, and when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. And then in verse 13, it said, and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. I'm going to probably say this every time, but all of us have experienced something like this, right? We hear a word from God, and we're excited about what it is, and that joy that comes so quickly often also fades quickly. And rather than pursuing that word or continuing in joy, we begin to feel many other things about ourselves, maybe about others. We feel frustration, we feel anger, we feel guilt, we feel shame. And this is not a new sensation or a reaction to God's word. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33 through 31. Ezekiel says, So my people come to you in crowds, sit in front of you and hear your words, but they don't obey them. Their mouths go on passionately, but their hearts pursue dishonest profit. When we experience this, there's no real depth to our soil or there's too much sand in our soil. But there's just enough to get that seed germinating. However, as soon as life's difficulties pop up, our seedling withers away as if those difficult things were the blazing sun. And while this sand has good airflow and water, because the soil is too shallow, the water quickly evaporates or runs away below the rock. But remember, there's nothing wrong with feeling these feelings. It'd be easy to look at this passage and go, oh, this one equates to anger. I should never feel angry, therefore I'm not going to feel angry. But anger is good. When Rachel describes the anger that she feels toward the situation that these children are exposed to, that is a good, holy anger. There's times when we should feel frustrated. Look at John chapter 2 at a time when Jesus felt frustrated and angry. Picking up in verse 13, it said, The Jewish Passover was near, and so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And then the temple, he found people selling oxen and sheep and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. 
pause right there. If you're not familiar with this story, what's going on is that Jesus shows up to the temple and people are required to give a sacrifice as part of the Passover worship. And there are people who have set up shop to abuse the fact that people don't have the things they need to make a sacrifice to God. And so they're overcharging for the things that they can buy to sacrifice or they're charging them to swap with their money. And then it says, after making a whip of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxygen, excuse me, and oxen. And he also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. And he told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Or some uh, some, uh, um, translations say a den of robbers. And then verse 17, it says, and his disciples remembered what is written, zeal for your house will consume me. There's no doubt that Jesus felt anger when he walked into the temple and saw that. But his anger was justified. And he expressed it, but not in a sinful way. The emotion of anger or frustration is from God. He is the one who gave us our feelings. We've been taught, especially in the South, to cover that one up. Because that's not socially acceptable to be angry. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus expressed his emotions in public allowing him to change the state of people's hearts. Let's go back again. Next point is that thorny soil allows germination and some growth, but the thorns choke out the plant. Let's look at verses 7 and 14. It says, And other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And then the explanation, As for the seed that fell from among the thorns, those are the ones when they heard go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. How many times have you been started down a path following Jesus only to be interrupted or derailed by something in life? I can raise my hand to that one. It happens to all of us, right? But that's not the way Jesus meant for life to happen. I want to go back to Genesis just for a moment. You don't have to flip there. It'll be on the screen. I want you to look at the punishment that God gave after Adam and Eve disobeyed him. Picking up in verse 17 in chapter 3, it says, And he said to the man, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. Was, was Adam cursed? What did he curse? He cursed the ground. And you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will not eat the plants of the field. This is not what God intended for us, but it's the result of the sin in our lives. In response to Adam and Eve's sin, God cursed the ground that they came from. And now the land is not filled with good things to eat like it was in the garden. Adam has to toil and labor for the land to produce fruit. And what are those thorns and thistles in our lives? Look back at verse 14 in Luke chapter 8. It says, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who when they heard go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and the pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. These seeds are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life. And here's what is interesting about all of those, is what they produce in us is fear. These things cause fear and it prevents us 
from producing mature fruit. Here's what we need to understand about weeds. Weeds thrive when the soil conditions are not right for the plants that you're trying to grow in that soil. And when there is an imbalance in the soil chemistry, a weed, which by the way is anything that is growing where you don't want it to grow. It can be a tomato plant, but if it's in your yard, it's a weed, okay? When there's an imbalance in the soil chemistry, a weed is able to take root and grow faster than the thing that you are trying to grow. And what's really cool is if you correct the soil by adding what is missing, the opposite is going to happen. Suddenly the plants you want begin to grow better than the weeds do. This doesn't mean you don't pull the weeds out. You absolutely do because they got a head start. But the weeds are not going to come back as quickly because you've corrected the soil. This is not the part of the sermon where I tell you to just stop worrying. How many have tried to just stop worrying? Okay, now, raise your hand if it's worked. That's what I thought. When Jesus was in the garden before his arrest, what was he doing? He was praying, right? What was he feeling? He was feeling fear. Because he knew that what was about to happen to him was going to be unimaginably painful. Scripture says that, that whenever he was sweating, drops of blood were coming from his brow. It's a physical response to an emotional feeling. He knew that he was going to be separated from his father. And his, that fear manifested itself in his body. Yet, because of his love, he overcame that fear and he accomplished what he came for. Going back to the parable, I want you to think of this emotion or this soil as silt. Silt is good for plants. It has the attributes that seeds need. It has good airflow. It holds water. But after just a short time, parts of that, that clay that makes the silt is washed away by the rain. The nutrients that the silt was holding onto begin to get washed away and the weeds are using up what's not washed away. And one of the most important nutrients that a plant needs to grow is nitrogen. And nitrogen is for the plant what love is for our hearts. The fear in our lives leaches the love from our hearts just like the weeds do the nitrogen. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment so that the one who fears is not complete in love. Church, I want you to hear me say that the answer to the problem of fear is love. Sharing what we are afraid of with God and with the people in our lives allows us to experience the love of God. Speaking those things out allows us to emotionally process them. And in sharing those fears with one who can do whatever is necessary to drive it out. By speaking those things, we're able to release them out into the world. So often, we take our emotions and we bundle them inside. Because we're afraid. We're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid, of, afraid about how we might feel if we do give in to those emotions. And what Jesus wants us to understand through this parable is that if we give in to that, that pressure of conformity to just sit pretty in church and don't reveal our emotions, that we're going to miss the word that God has for us because our soil is not proper. Let's go back to verse 8 and verse 15. This is our final point, is that good soil allows the seed to germinate, flourish, 
and produce much fruit. So, last, last one. Still the other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. And he said this and called out, let anyone who has ears listen. And then the explanation. But the seed and the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring, produce fruit. Our final soil, our good soil, is loamy soil. That may not be a word that you're familiar with, but I'm going to explain it. So let's think about what makes soil good. What makes good soil is a combination of all the things that we've already talked about. Clay, sand, and silt. But there is a fourth component to loam that gives what all three are lacking on their own. And that's organic material. Organic material is found in, that's found in loam is from the natural life cycles of other plants. This is a really insensitive way to say it when we're talking about emotions, but it's dead stuff. Right? When you compost, if you've composted before, or if you've mowed your grass and let the clippings fall back in the grass, that's the process of putting organic material back into your soil. When we properly process our emotions, our life and our soil become balanced. This creates a loamy, good soil. Loam is full of nutrients. It allows air movement. It holds water in the correct quantities. And within this soil are all the conditions and the nutrients required for a healthy plant. They work together to allow the seed to germinate, to sprout, to grow, to mature, and to produce much fruit. And this is the earth that we were made from and created to exist in in the garden. God not, did not create us to be devoid of emotions. He created us to experience them in all of their proper quantities and conditions. He created us to experience sadness, to experience anger and fear in their proper times. But we were also created what we haven't talked about yet today, which is joy. Only through learning to move in and through those different stages of emotion can we ever experience the joy that God created us to live in. And this is what it means to tend your soil. I should have mentioned that at the beginning. That's the title of today's sermon. But this is what it means to tend your soil. It's allowing God to cultivate your heart as you move through life. That as you experience sadness, as you experience anger, as you experience the thorns of life, as you experience the fear that happens as we worry and become anxious about what's happening around us, that we bring that stuff to God and say, God, this is how I feel. To go to your life group and say, this is how I feel. And to process the things out, out loud. So instead of sitting in sand where soon we will wither up and dry or sitting in clay where there's no air for us to breathe, we can process those things out loud. Our goal, church, is to be good soil because I know without a doubt that all of us want to be the seed that planted in good soil, that grew and matured and produced much fruit. Our goal is to be that good soil so that as we abide, Jesus can produce much fruit through us. And that's the only way it happens. We cannot go on with life pushing our emotions aside and not letting how we feel come out. Church, that's a sermon for will right there. I need, 
to, I should have heard this 30 years ago. I'd be a much better pastor. I want to end with one final quote and a few words after it. This is, again, from Dr. Phillips. It says, some of our hearts are sandy. Others have a lot of clay or silt. We can't just suddenly change that today. Soil develops over a long period of time. Rock particles break down, organic matter, things that have died or absorbed. Microorganisms bring life to the soil and sustain nutrients and energy. It's a process, not a recipe. We are who we are. But the good gospel news is it turns out that a soil's fertility is easier to change than a soil's physical properties. How does this translate to your heart work? We embrace the instructions the Creator gave to the first man and the first woman. We get intentional about dressing and keeping the garden within. Each day we work toward fertile ground. And where do we start? From wherever you are. God created us from His perfect soil. His desire is to redeem us and bring us back to that perfection we were created to be. And what is Jesus What Jesus is teaching in this parable is our emotional well-being determines the kind of soil our heart becomes. Look at verse 15 one more time. But the seed and the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring, produce fruit. And our learning to process our emotions, being honest about where we are and working through those emotions properly, Through those two things, Jesus will make us into good soil. It's in allowing the sower to tend our soil that we can receive his word and grow to produce much of his fruit. This may mean spending time with Jesus, or it may need that you need to spend some time with a counselor and Jesus. Do whatever is necessary for you to heal and to experience the joy that you were created to have. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so thankful for this word. I'm so thankful that you are not just giving us permission to use our emotions and to express how we feel, but Father, you are, you are asking us to do that. You are telling us that it is the key to our joy. Father, as we think about this message this week, as we ponder these things in our hearts, I ask that you would give each of us permission to express how we feel, not just to you, but to one another. God, I know that, that is a a a trend that has been set in us from the time we were born, that we hide those emotions. So Father, I ask that you would give us the courage to move beyond what we've been taught. Give us the courage to step out into the unknown. Give us the courage to express how we feel in a way that does not bring about sin, but in a way that honors you. And it honors how we feel. It honors our experience. Jesus, we need this in our lives. We need to learn to relate to you and to one another in deeper ways. Father, we want to produce much fruit, but we know that the key is letting you tend our soil and us abiding in you. So Father, I ask for those things for all of us in your precious, in your holy name. Amen.